Well, we are going to continue in Mark this morning. And so if you want to grab your Bible, you can go ahead and grab your Bible and go to the book of Mark. We're going to be in chapter 4. If you need a Bible this morning, there should be a few on the rows there in front of you. And if you're turning to one of those Bibles, most of them are going to be around page 836. So Mark's in your New Testament. If you kind of open towards the middle and keep turning towards the back, you're looking for red letters. Red letters. If you find those red letters, you're in the Gospels, and the Gospels go like this. Matthew, then Mark, then Luke, then John. So uh, find Mark chapter 4 this morning. And we've got a long passage, and I'm not going to read all of it right away. Uh, I've got to do, I want to do a little bit of lead-in here this morning uh, before we jump into our passage. So you can go there and then, then hold your place there, and we're going to get there in a few minutes. So Mark is, is a book, uh, it's, a, it's a gospel that we have. We have four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke we call the synoptics because they have a lot in common. Uh, we, we have different authors, and they have different purposes and different audiences, but they share a lot of the same stories about Jesus. And sometimes they give us a different perspective based on uh, what they're trying to communicate into which group. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John are our gospels. Mark was specifically written to the church at Rome. This, this group of, of people gathering in Rome where Mark was trying to encourage them as they were living out their beliefs, as they were following Christ because tension was rising, pressure was up. And uh, so Mark's saying, hey, you need to stick in there. You need to hold on even though the pressure gets up. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple. And that's why we're calling this series The Mark of a Disciple. Here's what it looks like to be a disciple. And so uh, this morning we're going to look at three different parables and they're all about the kingdom. And so before we jump to them, I want to give us a little bit more of a a lead-in into the kingdom, because it's a pretty big deal. And so uh, let's jump back a little bit, even before creation. Okay, God has always existed, always. He's always existed in three persons, and he's always just been one God. That's what we call the Trinity. He's existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always, before time, before creation, from all eternity past, and he'll always exist as those three persons. Before creation, God existed. And before creation, the Father loved the Son, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Son, and the Son loved the Father. I mean, they were all existing in this community, and they loved one another, and they existed in fellowship and community with one another. Now, why do I make a point to say that? Because when it comes to God creating, God didn't create so that he could be a father. He was already a father. When it, when it comes to creating, God didn't create the world so that he'd have a people to rule over, therefore making him king or ruler because God was already all-powerful. He didn't need to create people so that he can become and have an identity as a ruler. God didn't have any needs that lacked. He was not lonely, and, and he didn't create out of loneliness so that he'd have people to fellowship with because he already existed in fellowship with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God did not create out of a lack of his, uh, uh, out of a need or a lack of something. God created instead out of an overflow of something, love. See, God already loved uh, the, the, the three members of the Trinity. Already loved one another, and that love for one another was so great that it overflows, and God uh, creates out of that overflow of love rather than a lack. And as he creates and, and, and he creates people, it's another opportunity for God to just continue to love and to pour out His love. And so he creates. And he creates uh, the, the, first, the first people, Adam and Eve, and he puts them in this, this garden and he, and he gives them all these things that they can enjoy. And there's one thing he says, just stay away from it. That's the, that this, the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that fruit, but you can, you can have everything else. And then he says, hey, you subdue the land. You rule over it. 
And so God establishes his kingdom in which his authority is going to be represented by his, his created people here on earth, Adam and Eve, and they are to rule over the rest of creation. Boom, God's kingdom on our earth is created. And it is one where God rules through representatives. In this case, Adam and Eve. And they were to go and represent God's kingdom authority, his rulership over all of creation. But as you know, that, that didn't work out. Adam and Eve, uh, they, they loved God for a while, but then at some point their love shifted as Satan entered into the garden in the form of a serpent, in the form of creation. And he goes and he tempts the woman and he tempts the man and ultimately the, the woman and the man think that Satan's plan sounds really good. It's going to give me, me, me pleasure. It's what I want. So they turn their attention and their love. They take it off of God and they focus it on themselves. And in an act of loving themselves more than they loved God, they choose to eat of the fruit that God said not to eat. And so in that moment, God's kingdom plan, his authority has just been flipped. Because remember, God rules, and he was ruling through a representative, Adam and Eve, and they were to rule over creation. And then what happens is Satan comes and he takes on the form of creation, a serpent, tempts Adam and Eve. They submit themselves instead of to God, to the creation. And so now you've got this order, this ruling order that has just been flip-flopped. It's broken now. From a human perspective, God's kingdom is broken and God's rule is not being adequately represented through his, his representatives. And so uh, as a result of that choice, uh, you, you remember that sin enters into the human world and into the created world. And the impact of sin is widespread, so much so uh, that every person born of a man and a woman since then is born with a corrupted nature. Every person born of a man and a woman since then is born with a tendency not for, for God, but a tendency for themselves. It's not natural for them to pursue God, to love God. It's natural for us instead to love ourselves and to pursue ourselves. Even on our most selfless day, our actions are still falling short of God's standard. And so we are born corrupted. But not only did it affect the human race, it affects all of creation so that now sin impacts creation and we have natural disasters that start to come in an imbalance in, in our atmosphere and in, in, in the, the world. And so we've got these tornadoes and we've got hurricanes and we've got all these things that are, that are off. The ground is hard now and God said to Adam, you're going to work hard and that ground is going to make you fight for your, for your labor, for your, for your produce. It's, it's affected, it's impacted. So much so that Paul later in Romans 8, he says, even creation longs for the day of redemption. It's groaning. All of creation, you, me, all of humanity, all the trees, all the rocks, the ground, it's all longing for that day of redemption. That day when God is going to take what has been flip-flopped, his, his ruling authority through his representatives on earth, and he's going to make it right. And so God's plan continues to, to lay out and, and he continues to work through representatives. So after Adam and Eve, Noah has the next opportunity where God, God cleans the earth off and he says to Noah and his family, now you go and you populate the earth and you rule over it. And ultimately, Noah fails to do that. And so then we get Abraham. And God makes these promises to Abraham where he says, hey, Abraham, leave the land where you're at and follow me. And then he takes them to this land and he gives them promises. I'm going to give you this land, everything you see, everywhere your, foot, your feet touch. I'm going to give you that land. Hey, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you. God makes these promises to Abraham and it's through Abraham then ultimately that a nation comes forth. Israel. 
This nation who God was going to, to work through and repre, uh, rule through, and they were to represent God to all the other nations of the earth. Where, where God gives them the law so that the law reveals who he is to his people. It reveals his character, his righteous character, his standard. It sets Israel apart as a people because, man, there's some things in that law that just really set them apart. Hey, like, don't, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. Apparently, other people were doing that. And I guess it was a problem. But God says, hey, don't do this. It's going to set you apart. Hey, you're wearing blended clothes this morning. Hey, don't wear blended clothes. Let's set you apart. Hey, don't shave your beard. You know, things like that where God says, I'm going to set you apart. Likely because they, these things were practiced in other nations because the Bible was not written in a vacuum. The Bible was written uh, in a time where there were other nations, other people, and that likely had influence on many of the people in the Bible. And so God's trying to set them apart. Hey, don't shave your beard because likely that was practiced as a form of worship for other gods. Hey, don't boil a, a goat in its mother's milk, maybe because it was cruel or because it was used in worship. We don't know. But God says, I'm going I'm to give you this law so it reveals who I am so that you know how to respond to me, it sets you apart as a nation. And as you obey this law and submit to it, God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to provide for you, I'm going to be your ruler. And that God's plan was to have his kingdom authority represented through these people. And it was through Israel that God was going to bring about his kingdom and ultimately right what was wronged. But as you know, Israel failed, didn't do that. And all of these, uh, the, the, these representatives and then their failures Make us long and anticipate for the day when there is going to be a representative who can come along and who can fulfill God's standard and represent God's rule on earth, his kingdom. And so all of creation is longing for that day. In fact, all of history is moving toward that day, that day when God sends that one, that representative, who is going to come and he's going to rule for God. God's authority will be established through him. He will rule and it will be just and it will be peace and it will be love. All of history is moving toward that day. Now, if you were an Old Testament saint or, or a, a Jewish person or maybe even in the time of Jesus' day, you, you knew your Old Testament. You were expecting a kingdom. You were looking for a kingdom because you knew that God had promised it. And here's what you were looking for. You were looking for a physical king someone who was going to come from the Jewish race, and he was going to sit on the throne in Jerusalem. He was going to overthrow your enemies. At that time, it was the, the empire of Rome. And then he was going to rule, and all of Israel would get what God has promised. You were looking for that. And so if you were alive when Jesus came on the scene and your eyes were open to who he was, you realize that this is that king. This is that one that God has sent, that representative who is going to rule. And so these men that walked around with Jesus that we get the stories of in the Gospels, they were following him along and they were looking for that kingdom. They were looking for that physical kingdom. And you may remember that last week when we talked about the kingdom, we said there's at least three aspects that we've got to keep in mind as we study the scriptures. The first, time, the first one is just this eternal kingdom, the sense that God just rules over all, all creation. He's creator, he's, he's God, he's over all things, he's king. He rules. We call that the eternal kingdom, or you might talk about it God's kingdom in general. But then you've got this physical kingdom, right, that the Old Testament talked about that's going to be given uh, to nation of Israel. They're going to have a physical land. They're going to dwell in a physical king on the throne. It's going to be a very physical kingdom. You're going to see it. And then we talked about there was a spiritual element to the kingdom too, where yes, in the, in the physical kingdom, there will be a spiritual element, but there's also the sense where the Bible says that, hey, if you've placed your trust in Christ, God has transferred you from the kingdom of darkness 
into the kingdom of his son. And there's a spiritual element to this kingdom. Now, the spiritual element to the kingdom does not replace what God's going to do through Israel. But we can't deny that God says, hey, there's a spiritual element. And so as we start to approach our parables this morning, that's what we need to keep in mind is, hey, there is that spiritual element. And that spiritual element is present so much as Jesus is present. And so when Jesus walked the earth, never was the kingdom closer than when the very king walked the earth. And so as we talk about the spiritual kingdom, we talk about it in the sense that Jesus rules through us. Jesus is king now in our hearts. He's king now in our lives because he's transferred us to the kingdom of his son. But hear me say, it does not change what God's plan is to do with Israel. But the people in Jesus' day didn't get this. See, because they only were looking for that physical kingdom. And so you remember last week we started looking at parables. And then we said a parable is a story. Oftentimes a story that is drawn from real life, nature, or people, and it's used to communicate a spiritual truth. Usually it's one truth that's trying to, create, uh, to communicate, one single truth. Sometimes it'll, it'll go further and, and the, the, the Bible will give us the, the peripheral details. But most of the time the, the parables are really just designed to give us one single truth about a spiritual reality. And we learn that Jesus speaks in parables for two reasons. One, because he wants to veil the truth now to those who have rejected the king. Right? Because never has that kingdom been so close to being present than when Jesus walked the earth. But as people were continuing to be antagonistic toward him and they were, they were resisting him, there came a point where he started to veil the message of the kingdom. And he veiled it so that they wouldn't hear it and understand and believe. And that's an act of mercy on God's part because you're responsible for the knowledge that you have about God. But he, he, he did it in parables because then those who were spiritually discerning, those who follow Christ, would be able to discern the truth of the parable. And we saw last week of the four soils that Jesus says, hey, the key to understanding the secrets of the kingdom is that you have a fertile heart. The key is that you, you have a fertile heart when it comes to the Lord and understanding his word. Do you want to understand his word? You've got to be receptive to it. You've got to be willing to follow it. You've got to be willing to change because of it. And so this morning, our three parables fall on the heels of that parable. And so we'll take the first one uh, in, in uh, verse 21. If you'll turn with me to chapter 4, verse 21, we get to our first parable. And Jesus says, hey, he said to them, a lamp isn't brought to be put under a basket or under a bed, is it? Isn't it to be placed on a lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, and nothing concealed except to be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, he'd better listen. And he said to them, take care about what you hear. The measure you use will be the measure you receive, and more will be added to you. For whoever has will be given more, but whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. So Jesus tells this parable about a lamp, and he says, nobody lights a lamp. And that day it would have been like a candle and a little glass thing, like a lantern, right? Nobody lights that, and then goes and gets a bucket, and then covers up the lit lantern. That's not the purpose of lighting the lamp. Instead, what you do is you light the lamp and then you go hang it on a stand so that its light shines forth. It'd be like you and I going to grab a flashlight so we can walk outside in the dark. We don't go get that flashlight only to tuck it in our pocket once it's turned on. That's not the purpose of the flashlight. We get the flashlight so that it illuminates the darkness before us. It has a purpose. And that's what Jesus is saying here is, hey, nobody, nobody goes and lights a lamp just to cover it. That's not the purpose of the lamp. And so he's talking about the kingdom. Remember, he's just finished saying, hey, you've got to have a fertile heart when it comes to understanding the secrets of the kingdom. And so as he tells this parable, I think what he's saying is, hey, the kingdom, your understanding of the kingdom 
it's going to continue to grow. If you have a fertile heart, it's going to continue to grow because the purpose of the kingdom is not to remain secret. The purpose of the kingdom is not to remain hidden. The purpose of the kingdom is to ultimately come forth and shine light and do what it's supposed to do. So this, this follows quickly on the heels of the fertile soil and Jesus says, hey, pay attention because then he says, if you have ears to hear, you better listen, which is a common phrase, but he goes on and he says it even further. And he says if, in verse 24, take care about what you hear. So he's talking about what, what you hear when it comes to the word of God, when it comes to the kingdom. Take care what you hear because the measure you use will be the measure you receive. More will be added to you. Here's what I think he's saying. The way you are receptive to God's word or not receptive to God's word will determine how much you understand about God's word. I mean, so how many of you had a day, and you don't have to raise your hand, it's rhetorical, but how many of you had that time where you're trying to dig into the Bible, man, it's just not opening up to you. You're just like, you're, you feel like you're banging your head on the Bible, you're spending time in it, and, and sure, you understand the stories, but you're going, what does it mean? It doesn't make any sense. It just sounds foolish to me. You've had those days. Perhaps one possibility as to why you had that kind of day or that season has to do with the receptivity of your heart. You see, because if you're not willing to respond to God's word once you understand it, if you're not willing to follow after it, or if maybe already you've read things in God's word or you heard it taught or preached and you said, nope, not for me, I'm, I'm going to squash that. God's not going to open up his word for you to continue to understand it. He's going to close that off to you. The measure you use will be the measure you receive. But if you're receptive to God's word, and, and you've, some of you have experienced this too, where you, you, know, you read something and you go, man, that's going to be hard for me to do, but I'm going to do it. And so you do it in faith, you obey God's word, and then you come back to it and you're going, man, I didn't see this before. And, and, and it just seems like maybe there's a season where it's just opening up to you. you. You go to the word, you read the Bible, and it's just alive. You know, to you. Because the Bible's always alive, but it's alive to you. And you're going, I can't open this thing up without being convicted. I can't open this up without seeing more that I haven't seen before. And it's just like you're reaping benefits and treasure. I'd be willing to bet that if that's your experience or has been at some point, it's because during that season or now, your heart's receptive. You're willing to do what God's asking you to do. The answer is yes before he even says it. Before he even, before he even reveals to you what he wants you to do or before he even sheds light into your life through his word, your answer is yes, I want. I want whatever you want me to do. I want whatever you have for me. I think that's what, that what Jesus is saying when he says the measure you use will be the measure you receive and more will be added to you. If you're receptive, God's gonna keep opening that. You're gonna keep growing in your understanding. If you're not, he goes on and he says, um, for verse 25, for whoever has will be given more. He's just gonna keep giving it to you. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. In other words, there comes a point where you cut yourself off, you choose not to be receptive to God's word, you choose to, to uh, not act on God's word, or you block it out. There's going to come a day where you're going to miss your opportunity to continue growing in that. I'm not talking about losing salvation here. I'm saying, hey, look, everything is heading towards the kingdom. All of history is moving forward towards that day when Christ comes back and reveals himself and sets up his kingdom. You want to grow in your understanding of the word and of God? You've got a limited amount of time. It's not going to be around forever. There's going to come a day where you're not going to have that opportunity to keep growing in an understanding. It's going to be cut off from you when Christ comes back. And so Jesus' first parable to them is, hey, keep your heart soft. Keep it fertile. 
And whatever measure you use when you hear the word of God, that's what's going to be used on you. You're open, you're receptive, you're going to keep growing, you're going to keep understanding. If you're not, you've closed yourself off. No wonder. No wonder you're not growing. No wonder it makes no sense to you. No wonder you feel like your prayers are just stopping at the ceiling. Check your heart. But then he goes on and he gives two other parables. And we look at verse 26. So look at verse 26 with me. He said, also the kingdom of God is like someone who spreads seed on the ground. He goes to sleep and he gets up night and day and the seed sprouts and grows and though he does not know how. By itself, the soil produces a crop, first the stalk, then the head, and then the full grain in the head. And when the grain is ripe, he sends in the sickle because the harvest has come. And so we have a, another parable about a guy sowing seed, a farmer. But this time the emphasis is not so much on the soils, but on how the seed just grows. And so the parable says the guy throws the seed in, and then he goes about his day-to-day -day activities. He goes about his, his day-to-day chores, and, and as he's going about it, that seed's continuing to grow. The soil, it just seems like from a human perspective, that soil is just pushing that seed out. It's just growing roots, and, it, and, and it, the plant's growing up, and there's the stalk, and then now you see the head, and it's just growing. And from a human perspective, you don't really know all the details of how it's going. It's just doing that. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. See, the kingdom of God is, is, is continuing to grow. The kingdom of God is continuing to move forward. All of history is continuing to move forward. And there's going to come a day where just like that plant that's put in the ground, it's going to keep growing up. And then all of a sudden, it's harvest before you realize it. The kingdom has come in fullness. It's just like that farmer putting in the seed, he says. You don't know how it's going to grow. It just does. But it's coming. It's going to grow. There's going to be a harvest. So the idea of this parable is even though it seems like the kingdom's not coming, so now put yourself back in the disciples' shoes, right? You're expecting a physical kingdom. You're expecting Jesus to be the one to reign and overthrow Rome. But Jesus is being rejected by all these people, all these leaders, and so there's gonna now be a delay. And, and the physical part of that kingdom's not coming. And so Jesus is passing on to those who will hear, those with spiritually discerning ears. He says, hey, it's gonna seem like it's not coming right now. But just like a farmer's plant pops up and grows on its own, you can trust that my kingdom is continuing to grow and move toward fulfillment. And so as Mark is writing these, these parables for the church at Rome, they're experiencing persecution. They're having to stand on their faith. They're questioning, is it worth what, what I'm going through? I mean, I just saw my neighbor get killed. I, I, you know, I, I hear that they're going to start putting pressure on us or they're going to cut us off from, from the market or whatever. We're gonna, we're gonna, things are going to get really tight if we hold on to these beliefs. Is it worth it? It doesn't seem like God's coming back. It doesn't seem like he's going to rule. You know, I mean, we're all longing for this, this broken world to be made new. We're all longing for our broken selves to be made new. And that day is going to come in the kingdom, but it doesn't seem like it's coming. Is it worth it? And through this parable, Jesus is saying, yeah, Stay focused because it is worth it. Because before you know it, the harvest is coming. And in this parable, there is also an implied judgment. You see, the harvest is a good thing for farmers, but it's not so good for, for the wheat. And the Bible talks about a harvest, and a lot of times when the Bible talks about a harvest, it also talks about judgment. Because when Christ comes back to set up his kingdom, it will be both a time of joy for those who are in the kingdom, but it will be time of judgment for those who are not. Our time is limited. Our time is limited, so, so be careful how you respond to the word. 
Be careful how you respond to God. Be careful how your heart is. All of our hearts get calloused. I mean, we all go through those seasons where we don't act on God's word. It's, it's not a good thing. I mean, I'm just saying as humans, we go through that. But don't excuse it. Don't permit it. You know, don't, don't let certain areas of your life be off limits to God. God, I'll follow you here. I'll go wherever you want me to go. But this relationship, not touching it. Nope, not willing. I don't want to show forgiveness. I don't want to show grace. You mean you want me to go talk to those people? I don't really like that kind of people. Mm, that, that makes me uncomfortable. But hey, I'll go to these people. They're just like me. I know how to speak their language. I know how to talk to them. You know, we do that, don't we? God, this is off limits. I'll give you this, but not this. You do that, you're, you're, you're allowing calluses to be built up. You're not being receptive to God's word. And Jesus' second parable is saying, hey, the kingdom's coming. It's gonna be just like that plant. It's gonna pop up and grow. And before you know it, it's time for harvest. So hang in there. And he goes on, and the third parable is this in verse 30. He said, and this one you might know if you've been around church at all uh, throughout your life. He says, um, to what can we compare the kingdom of God? To what parable can we use to present it? It's like a mustard seed that when sown in the ground, even though it is the smallest of all the seeds in the ground, when it is sown, it grows up, it becomes the greatest of all garden plants and grows large branches so that the wild birds can nest in the shade. So Jesus says, hey, so what else can we compare the, the, the kingdom to? It's like a mustard seed. Now, here's a, here's a particular spot in the Bible where some people have problems with it because the Bible says the mustard seed is the smallest of all seeds, and it's not. So that's a problem, right? And so people go, see, the Bible's wrong. See, the Bible has a mistake. It's, it's, it's speaking about something, and, and it's wrong. And, and, and furthermore, it goes on and says, and it grows up, and it's larger than any of the other garden plants, and it's not. It's not the largest garden plant. What do we do with that? A couple, a couple thoughts for you. First off, uh, one, in Palestine at that time, the plants they grew, of all the stuff they grew, it could likely have been the smallest seed they have. Okay, we look at it today and we say, no, we, the orchid seed's smaller. Or, I mean, name your seed and, and you can come up with seeds that are smaller and you can certainly come up with garden plants that are bigger. But you've got to put yourself in their context. Okay? But more likely it's this. It's a proverbial saying. The Bible wasn't ever intending to speak scientifically about this issue. It was meaning to speak proverbially. Hey, that, 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 that mustard seed's pretty small seed. And, and the focus of the parable is not so much on it's the smallest and grows to the biggest. Rather, it's on the contrast of the difference. The Bible didn't mean to speak here scientifically. So therefore, it's not making a mistake by saying, yeah, it's the, the smallest seed and it grows to be the, the largest plant. It's a proverb like a Chinese proverb, like, like, like our proverbs. It's, a, it's an observation, and it's a statement that's kind of quippy or a, a story that you can kind of remember to help teach you a truth or a lesson. That's the intent of a proverb. That's what this is. It's not a scientific statement, not a scientific observation. It's a proverbial statement. And so Jesus' point is, is not that, hey, the kingdom's going to be the absolute smallest thing, but then grow to be the biggest thing, but you know what? His point is on the contrast. It seems small now. Just like that mustard seed. When you put it in, you're going, that's not going to amount to much. It seems small. He says the kingdom right now may seem small. There might be only, a, you know, 120 of you right now. You know, you think about the book of Acts, the very beginning. How many of Christ's followers were gathered in that first room? 120. That's it. That might seem small. But the contrast is when it grows up, that plant grows up so big that it's got branches that even birds can come and sit in those branches. The emphasis of this parable is on the contrast. 
So as Mark writes to his readers, he's saying, hey, I know it seems small. There may not be many of you. You may be in the minority. You all, as you go out into your workplaces, as you go out into the world, you may be in the minority, standing up for what you believe, trying to live with integrity, holding to beliefs that people think are foolish and antiquated. You might be in the minority. It may seem small right now, but hang in there because just like that tree, uh, that mustard seed, it grows up into a tree, uh, a garden plant that's so big that birds can nest in it. It's gonna grow. The fact is the kingdom will ultimately one day consume all of the world. Jesus' parables are about, about this waiting period. And Mark's, Mark's writing to people who are in this waiting period. You and I are reading Mark's gospel today and we are in that waiting period where we're saying, God, what's gonna happen? I mean, we've got this, this whole you know, story throughout the Bible that says you're gonna set up your kingdom. You're gonna make things right and we're longing for that representative. We're longing for that one to come and do that so that day where justice will reign and where love will rule and, and there won't be any hurt and there won't be any pain and evil will be squashed. We're waiting for that. But it seems everywhere we look around us, there's people in their pain. People are still getting sick and dying. Evil still seems to rule the day. We're waiting. And waiting can be hard. And, and most of us don't like to wait. In fact, most of us, when we get in a situation where we're waiting on something, we try to make our own way. We, we, we start making phone calls to see if we can get things moving. We call in our connections to see if they can find out information. For us. We don't like to wait. Many of us are, are driven people and, and we think waiting is weakness. Instead, we want to be bold and we want to be courageous and so we're going to press on. But God values the waiting period because it's in that time of waiting that growth takes place. It's in that time of waiting, not only that we're waiting for the kingdom, and yes, the kingdom is continuing to grow, and ultimately all of history is moving toward that day. It will come, is the point of our parable this morning. It will come. But in that waiting period, you and I also grow because we have to learn how to wait on the Lord. You know, some of you could be, could be waiting on, on an answer from God. Maybe you've been praying a prayer for years. I got a few of those. And you're saying, when's it gonna happen? Is it gonna happen? God, are you gonna answer that? And you're just waiting. And waiting's hard. But you grow. And you go deeper. And as you learn how to wait, your faith in God strengthens. Some of you maybe are waiting on a relationship to get fixed or to be mended. It's hard. You want to do everything you can to, to make that relationship work and fix it and mend it. It's not going to go any faster than, than God's timing. But waiting is hard. But sometimes we also got to realize that just because we're waiting doesn't mean God has forgotten us. Just because we're waiting doesn't mean God has checked out. God's not forgotten his promises. God's not going to just abandon ship. God is doing what God does. We go to the new, uh, further on in the New Testament in Romans and Paul says, hey, this waiting period, it's actually for us. Unless you're in here and you're, you're Jewish, this waiting period is for us, Gentiles. God allowed this waiting period so that more people could enter the kingdom. So that Gentiles, like you and me, could enter the kingdom. God's waiting period can be a time of mercy. God's waiting period can be a time where he bestows mercy on us. Because how many times, maybe you've had that, that, that situation where you did rush ahead 
And man, you got accomplished what you wanted to get accomplished, and it was not good. And then you, you got down the road a little later, and you realized as you look back, man, if I would have waited on that, I could have gotten a better deal, or you know, things would have worked out differently. I wouldn't have hurt so many people if I would have just waited and been patient in the way I handled that. God uses waiting periods. He uses times of waiting. And so I don't, I don't know where you are with regard to uh, waiting. What you're waiting on, I don't know. We're all waiting for that day when things are going to be made new. Whatever it is you're waiting on, that relationship, that answered prayer, um, that, that provision, whatever it is, you can ultimately boil that down to you're waiting for something that's going to be made new. You're waiting for things to be made right. Ultimately, all of our longings for things to be made right, really they're kingdom longings. Really, they're, they're longings for Christ to come and things to be right, for God's order in this created world to be established again, where he rules through his representatives on this earth and this creation. And until that is completed, when Christ comes back, his representative, who's perfect, we're going to wait. So I don't know what you're waiting on. And, I, and, I, and I'm going to tell you, though, that part of that waiting, though, is just like creation, groaning for that day of redemption. But it'll come. It'll come. Some of you this morning, maybe you're, 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 uh, you're feeling those, those longings, but you're looking for it in different places because we do that. You know, we, we feel broken. We are broken. Uh, we're, we're looking for things to be fixed. And so we look, we look for those fixed uh, opportunities in all kinds of places. You know, we, we look in relationships. We say, man, if I can just find my, my fix, my, my, satisfy my deepest longings through that relationship, man, I'm, I'm going to be good. If I get the right job, if I get enough money, if this situation just works out, then things will be good. We find our fix. But that's not ultimately what, what God has for you. If you find yourself wanting and longing for something that's new, that's, crea- that, that, that's not broken, that's because God has designed us that way, not to be broken. And he has the fix. And it's through Christ. It's through Jesus. It's through his representative. And so God sent the son, and, and, and as we kind of started, I, I trace that kingdom thread for you. It's because we need to see that. We, we need to take a step back and see the big picture because we get consumed and focused on ourselves very easily. And what happens is our world is all that we see and our problems are all that we know and we start to get a very small mindset. But when you step back and you realize, hey, there, there's a bigger plan in action here. God, God's working things throughout all history and we, we kind of just fit in there. You know, we're not the center of the world. We're not the center of God's universe. The center of God's plan is this kingdom. I mean, that's what Christ preached. That's what disciples preached, the gospel of the kingdom. And at the very heart of the gospel of the kingdom is the king, Jesus. And some of you are longing to be made new. And Christ came so that you can. And he lived this life and he lived perfectly. He met all the requirements that God had. And so he was the perfect representative. And then he died and he rose again so that he can then rule as that perfect representative. He died and he rose again so that God could tell you and me, there you go. Get in him. Get in Christ. In my son, Stop trying to do whatever it is you're trying to do. Stop trying to show off all of your good works and, and, and all your good intentions and, your, and, and, and throwing all the stuff that you're throwing around. Stop doing that and just get in Christ. 
Trust him. He did it. He satisfied God. He met the requirements, so trust that. That's all God requires of you. And then the Bible says you get transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son, who's the very image of God. Get in Christ. You're in this waiting period. The parables say that the waiting period will not be forever. For those of you who are already in Christ, it means, hey, hold on, hang in there. For those of you who are not yet placed your trust in Christ, there's a bit of a warning here. This waiting period won't be forever. There will be a day where the harvest comes. Don't sit back too long and, 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 and tell yourself that you're going to respond later. If you're feeling something this morning, this is the day to respond. And God says all you've got to do is place your trust in, in Christ. You sat down in that chair this morning. You didn't, I didn't see any of you looking at the legs of the chair to see if it was going to hold you. I didn't see you inspecting to see if that chair was intact. I saw most of you just sit down. Why? You trusted the chair was going to do what it's designed to do. You, put, you took your trust from your legs, which had you standing, and you put it in the chair where you rested. Trust, faith. Take your trust from whatever it is you're trusting in. Whatever it is you're pursuing. Maybe you're holding out in case there's multiple gods and, and you just want to have the, the, you know, the option to pick. You've got to take it off of that and you transfer it to what God did through Christ. And that's it. So, Father, I pray for, for us this morning. You know, these parables, they're, you know, they're hard. They're not clear. But they teach such great truth. They, they, teach, they teach us about you. And God, what a message to, to, be, to be taught this morning that the waiting period's good, but it won't be forever. Uh, when we look and we don't see that you're active and that you're at work, that we can trust that you are even though it seems like it's hidden, it won't be hidden forever. There will be a day of, of harvest. All of creation is moving towards that, God, and we're longing for that. God, I pray this morning for those who are here who have already placed their trust in Christ, but the waiting is hard. I don't know what they're waiting on. You do. So God, I pray that your spirit would, would minister to them this morning, that they would be encouraged in the time of waiting that they would lift their eyes and take a bigger perspective and put them on you and see that you're at work and sometimes that the waiting period is about things that we have no understanding of. After all, God, if you thought that we could, we could figure it out ourselves, you would have given us the ability to do that. And God, I pray for those who are here this morning who, uh, who have not yet responded to the gospel of Christ who maybe are sitting that back and saying, you know, one day I'll consider it. I'll settle down one day. Uh, right now, I don't really want to get tied down. Or I've heard that before. It's not for me. God, I can't, I can't say words that would change their heart. I can't, I can't persuade people. None of us can. You change hearts. You open up eyes. And God, that's what I pray this morning. Now, if there's anyone here who, who, uh, who's feeling that longing, who's feeling they're aware of the brokenness and they're wondering what's the fix, what's the solution, that you would open their eyes to Christ this morning and that you would enable them to respond by faith. God, that we would be people that wait well and in the meantime grow and receive your benefit from your mercy. 
pray that in Christ's name. Amen.